ANZ's most prestigious media and marketing awards, the Mumbrella Awards, return for 2022 to celebrate the best work and talent across the marketing, advertising, media, production, PR and communications sectors. If you want to be recognised amongst the must-know names and campaigns, you do not want to miss the final entry deadline this Friday, April 29. Hello and welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin. With the world's richest man, Elon Musk, set to acquire Twitter, will you turn off the platform? Today, the team will look at the details and implications of this blockbuster deal. Then you'll get the latest updates on the TV network's performance so far this year, who's doing well, what's working, what's not, and again we ask, who is really winning? But first, we also ask, what is the essence of Mediacom? You'll hear from the local CEO of Group M, Amy Buchanan, about its latest transformation move. Joining me today, we've got a full house, Editor Andrew Banks. Welcome, Banksy. Standing room only, Callum. Acting Deputy Editor Emma Shepard. Hello. And reporter Kalila Welch. Hey, Kalila. Hey, nice to be here. Nice to have, as I said, a full house. Uh, Just a news chat from us today. As on Tuesday, we released a Mumbrella Cast special with Russell Howcroft. You can find that episode in your Mumbrella Cast feed, stream, or on the website, wherever you, uh, you're finding us. Group M agencies Mediacom and Essence have become the latest WPP brands to come together, now forming Essence Mediacom at a global level. Locally, Essence CEO Pat Crowley will take over as the new boss of the 550-person strong agency. For further details on the move, check out the website for a more in-depth breakdown. But to help us iron out a few more details, however, is Amy Buchanan, CEO of Group M AUNZ. Uh, I must apologize for a bit of a sketchy phone line on the recording, but here it is. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carl. Um, so I guess, obviously, big news overnight Uh lot of global implications but on a I guess a more relevant local level what does it mean for the brand? For the two businesses I think it's about how we bring together complementary capability that sets our people and our clients up for the future you know like I think we're not naive enough to think this isn't without disruption and our job is to minimize that disruption and you know really make sure we're doing the right thing by our staff as we work through the coming months. And while there are obviously um, a lot of aspects to this that really do kind of tie in and make sense for the sort of future-facing proposition of the brand, uh, one, one of the things that came up was, you know, the question thinking if you're someone like Combank, what, what, what are you sort of thinking now? You've been through four uh, different rounds in about 18 months, but does this say something potentially about the strength of the relationship with Pat there? Um, yes, I think would be the short answer. I think there's obviously a very strong relationship there and consistency of key talent is what makes or breaks any of these things. Like, and it's what the market struggles with, you know, quite frequently is that if people are churning in and out, it's hard to keep the equity in the business. So I think what we have with Pat and his rapport and relationship with Combank is a huge amount of knowledge and equity. And with the team underneath him as well, there's a lot of trust in him. 
Um, so I think that has helped. Look, and, and on the multiple brand changes, it's it's an absolutely fair comment and it's the reality of what's happened there. I, I think when we talk to the day-to-day teams, this is about keeping the consistency in them focused on the externals and getting the work out and delivering and showing up for our clients. It's our job to minimise that disruption and I think that is 100% what we're focused on and the conversation we have with clients is you shouldn't feel a change in tomorrow. Your your day-to-day teams will be the same. We will migrate the capability together and where and when it makes sense and it benefits clients for that to show up, it will. But this isn't, it's not going to be a drastic rip a band-aid off and, and tomorrow we're sure, you know there's a different process and different output that would be insanity it's about building this in bit by bit and I would argue that that is the same thing I haven't been here for all of the conversations from Icon to today but I would argue that it has been about building capability as we've gone you know you think about the switched on capability that came in the all of the essence work we've done in the last year sets us up for where we're headed um, and that's not going away. It's not like we're going to go, okay, we'll get rid of the essence. Stuff. All that essence stuff now needs to come into media common. It needs to be how we fuse those things together. Yeah. I guess, you know, gauging the initial market reaction and speaking to a few people here and there, a lot of the focus has sort of rather than looking at the, the actual capabilities and what the, the nuts and bolts of the business is going to look like, it's sort of focused on the media comm aspect maybe suggesting that that more legacy brand is taking a back seat, although others on the same note have said that it is a brave and necessary uh, step to take. Do you think too much emphasis is potentially placed on legacy brands in these kind of situations, potentially disregarding what is a logical call? Yeah, look, I wouldn't look at it that way. And I think if you think about the context is these are two businesses that have been collaborating incredibly well on massive pieces of business globally in the likes of Mars and Google. It's I'm seeing is that that's a formalisation of that collaboration into an integration. And when you think about it, wait, this is somewhat proven. It's, it's actually, and whether that's by design or by coincidence, it's, it's proven that it can significant pieces of business at a global scale. So I see it as an evolution of that. I, it's definitely emphasising that legacy or not legacy is sort of irrelevant because the particularly at a global level, the skill sets are incredibly complementary. You take the digital data and tech smarts of essence with the scale infrastructure strategic process um, of um, Mediacom, and you kind of have what you need for an agency itself up for the future. There'll be a lot of work to smooth that out and to make it stitch together, for sure. But that work exists whether you're bringing two businesses together or you're trying to do that at one agency or the other. You're constantly trying to stitch these things together. So, I mean, it was kind of posed to me that um, the, the setting of it up could be, I guess, uh, putting an early one in to potentially drop that Mediacom brand in about 18 months. Is there any chance of that? Or I guess it's a bit early to say. I, I doubt it, but, I, I, you know, whenever I say that, I'm proven wrong. <laughs> um, I have no visibility of that whatsoever. Yeah. 
Um, I think at the moment, you know, it's Essence Media Com. We're calling it ENM because if you say Essence Media Com really quickly, <laughs> you can get yourself tongue twisted. But um, yeah, I think that's about representing two equal parties coming together yeah. that bring equal, equally needed capability. It was um, suggested to me that a better name might have been E equals MC squared or something like that. <laughs> I reckon that's Pat Crowley because he's been spruiking that as a great oh, has idea he? for it. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that, that's come up a few times. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's resonating globally, but locally we're having a bit of fun with that. And then just, just finally, Amy, obviously a, um, a busy six first months for you in the job. Uh, yeah, are you I'm kind not of... bored, Carl. Well, I can imagine. <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask, are you, are you kind of maybe hoping that now you can sort of just focus on getting really into things and maybe, um, I don't know, having a having a, a smoother next six months? Um, look, I, I think it would be, it would be untrue if I said I didn't expect a huge amount of transformation to be needed. Did I expect it to happen this fast? No. But sometimes I think you've got to take what's in front of you and use it as the opportunity to make the change that's needed. And I think that's what we've tried to do here. Uh, I also think, look, what you're not seeing on the outside is that there's a heap of work being done on the inside. So whether that's, you know, the future of work proposition, we've launched Stripe, we have done a massive piece of work on localising the global vision and building out our better plan for the future, which we launched in, I want to say, February, March. So th- there is a lot of other things that have happened. I think, you know, like all these things, you see what's on the exterior, which tends to be the big announcements, the big staff changes, um, and they definitely have, have been a focus. But, you know, some of those, most of those actually, when I think about them, have been things that have been either in play or out of our control that we've then tried to make work for us best as we can locally. And, uh, in, you know, like what have, I, I adore Katie Rick smith I'm devastated to see her go. Um, but that was the right thing for her career and yeah. fully supportive of her having that opportunity and I'm thrilled that she has progression and and and, uh, and the next step up, step up within WPP. Um you know, as we went on that journey with Katie, you know, very closely working together to find her successor, I'm now really excited about working with Maria. So yeah. I think you have to look at these things as what's right for the people. You can't hold people back. You've got to give them that opportunity. And then how do you create opportunities for others? And and then how do you make that show up well so that we're, we're delivering the best we can for our clients? And yeah, look, it's been a full-on six months and I, I took this role because I wanted to be uncomfortable and wanted to be growing. Have I been feeling that? Yeah, but I have to remind myself that's why I'm here, right? Awesome. Well, I uh, appreciate you taking the time today, Amy. No worries. Thank you. Good chat there, Callum. Uh, you sort of alluded to your chat there. I'm, I'm interested to know how the market's going to perceive this. Uh, what what are people's first impressions of this deal? Yeah, well, the impression I'm getting, Banksy, is that initially, uh, locally, this is probably a more beneficial thing than it is globally. Um, for Mediacom, one of those two brands, it's obviously been buoyed um, by a few global wins recently with the likes of Bayer, Coca-Cola, Mars, um, that last one, Mars, actually being a bit of a... Um, a combination with Essence. 
Mediacom hasn't really added too many strong local brands in recent times. And while Yaron uh, has kept the ship steady over the last year, there's sort of a perception that maybe he is a more global Mediacom player, uh, maybe on a bit of a stopover and his move back now to London and a global role within the agency maybe suggests there's some truth in that. Um, funnily enough, the day this is coming out, the 28th, um, is exactly one year to the day that uh, Yaron was appointed as Willie Pang's successor. So a short stopover, but um, definitely staying as a central player within that global group. Um, I guess with Pat Crowley, the new CEO, you have a strong, well-connected and well-respected local leader. Um, and with some of those brands like Combank, NIB, you now, uh, along with some of the other ones in there, a really strong portfolio. Uh, while also having the benefit of continuing on with some of those really big global clients. I know we touched on it with uh, Amy there, but another ex-MediaCom um, executive suggested to me that uh, if it weren't really for that really deep 15-plus year connection with uh, between Pat and Combank, one of those kind of big clients in there, you'd probably have seen the client maybe looking to, I don't know, look look at other avenues by now. Uh, as it has been tucked away within uh, what was then Icon just over 15 months ago, then turning to AKQA Media, Essence, and now uh, Media, sorry, Essence Mediacom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this same person suggested that he's probably been acting like a some sort of a super client lead across this period that has likely maintained um, and weathered a relationship that in other cases might not have been the case. Uh, Cal, do you reckon there's a chance we'll see the Mediacom name completely disappear? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, as I said, Mediacom globally and more specifically kind of um, in the Northern Hemisphere and UK and Europe has continued to be a bit of a juggernaut um, in recent years, kind of winning business clients and uh, scooping up awards everywhere. So um, while this hasn't maybe been as much of the case down here, as I mentioned, spoke to a couple of ex-senior execs at Mediacom uh, for obvious reasons, probably didn't want to put their or attach their names. Um, interestingly, the perspe- perception was fairly split. Um, one of them may be taking the, the view that it's potentially by preferencing Essence, a brand that was only brought into the Group M fold in 2015, potentially um, a little bit disrespectful for that legacy brand of Mediacom which um, they mentioned has sort of been the outstanding Group M brand uh, in recent history, while the other one suggested that it is a more brave and maybe potentially necessary move kind of playing into that uh, digital equity that Essence has potentially getting ahead of what is to come, but in the meantime, continuing to use the Mediacom name to get into pitches and so forth um, before potentially looking to phase that name out um, or drop it completely in 18 months or so, um, kind of hotly tipped to potentially then go ahead as Essence and you'd probably suspect that um, of the two names looking at the way the wind is blowing. I, th- I think one really interesting uh, point, again, to reference um, Tim Burrows this morning uh, that he sort of brought up and maybe sometimes within this industry we don't think about or consider, um, and that was that, Really, in no other industry do we really see brands tinker and change around with their identity as much as agency land does, um, and in particular in recent years, that of WPP. And Accenture, what's the skinny on the, the latest move, Cal? 
Yeah, look, we won't spend too much time on this one. This was also uh, another one that um, I was up late last night writing up. Uh, the the news came out that Accenture Interactive has become Accenture Song, uh, replacing all of its brands bar Droga 5 into um, a single network. Uh, this morning we also had confirmation that the Monkeys um, brand, while uh, being rolled elsewhere into song will remain in Australia, obviously. The key point being that those two agencies that will be keeping their names, the Monkees um, and Droga 5, are founded by two current Accenture song uh, execs, that being Mark Green, the local lead here, and global CEO David Droga. Um, one that sort of potentially makes a little bit more sense now um, was that Cole's pitch few weeks back that they revealed they were um, inviting Accenture then interactive into the fold um, at a group level. So I guess kind of um, writings on the wall there. And from what I understand, that pitch is kicking off next week. So that's a bit of a watch this space. Coming up <laughs> next, Elon Musk set to acquire Twitter. On Tuesday morning, it came out that Elon Musk has reached an agreement to purchase Twitter for $44 billion US dollars, just over $60 million Australian. Um, while there are obviously many uh, concerns have been raised about this, as well as some potential benefits to come, clearly, can you start us off by taking us through some of the potential regulatory aspects that may arise from this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we know, um, Elon Musk has been... Um, quite strong on the freedom of speech line and and obviously um, what would come with that and what um, we've seen people discussing online is some changes that he would have made on the pla- um, made on the platform or rolled out on the platform you know including things like less moderation um, of what people can say online um, and as we know um, we've discussed kind of in recent weeks with the election coming up. Um, there is already a little bit of an issue online with the p- proliferation of um, disinformation and there is a substantial lack of the um, regulation online. We know there is the digi code, but um, obviously there's kind of some ongoing um, debate there as to whether that's having enough effect in regulating what happens online. Um, so I guess the biggest kind of th- regulatory aspect to come out of this is if there's um, less self-regulation, what's going to happen in the absence of this um, external regulation or government regulation locally and abroad. Um, So Reset Australia, who um, are one of the lobby groups that kind of have activated in the past against you know, the big tech and their lack of regulation or their resistance to regulation said that um, they're really pushing behind, um, they're really pushing a similar course to what's been undertaken in Europe with the European Digital Services Act, um, which is basically an act that is going to implement some regulation or kind of strong arm, I guess, these platforms into um, better regulation of what is able to be said on their platforms. Um, Kalila, Twitter's always kind of been positioned as this sort of town square um, and with Musk's acquisition maybe wanting to ease up, as you sort of mentioned, some of those free speech limitations, although um, Twitter is obviously a little bit more complex than a simple town square uh, as its influences run 
very deep. What, what are some of the, I guess, more wider concerns here? Yeah, so I guess the biggest concern here is um, obviously there is this massive discourse about um, freedom of speech that plays out, you know, across all the major platforms, particularly on Twitter because they have compared to some of the other platforms that particularly Meta have kind of had a bit of a stronger hand with this um, in terms of, you know, uh, last year we had the complete banning of or removal of Trump from the platform, which was met with um, mixed responses, especially kind of from the more conservative um, you know, fr- freedom side, I guess, of the spectrum. Um, people thought that that was too much. On the other side, people think that that's just enough. So there is a question of um, if they are really going to push free speech like Elon Musk has kind of promised he will, what's going to happen on the platform? What kind of information is going to be able to um, proliferate on the platform and whether people are going to stick around as well? Um, so as you mentioned, there is there is a strong kind of skew to the influence that is on the platform and the way that that can, you know, have real world influences on things like the election and, and things like, um, you know, hate speech that might evolve into to stories, you know, we've seen with the storming of the Capitol a few years back um, when Biden won the election in the US. Um, yeah, there's a question of whether people are going to stick around it is the biggest thing and, and what impact that's going to have for the platform and for its um, financial viability for the viability um, of ads on the platform as well. Just picking up on what Kalila said about the free speech side of things um, and, you know, freedom of speech, I think it it's important to know that Musk himself has a history of not being too kind with detractors and doesn't take criticism as well as, say, someone like James Blunt on Twitter. <laughs> um, so to me, I sort of think... It, it, it's a big change. It's things are going to happen, and I looked. I looked at what Jack Dorsey, the ex CEO, said about the the move. I mean, he's he's very happy. Uh, his Twitter profile says that he's one eighth hippie, but I mean, he went full hippie in in response to Musk's announcement, talking about how he's so happy and he's you know around the world into the stars followed up by Musk's tweet, which was in Latin, per aspera ad astra, which means our aspirations take us to the stars. I mean, it's all, it's like a huge kind of. I think of, that was a pretty poor Brad Pitt movie a few years, wasn't it, ad yeah, astra? Absolutely. Mm. And I, I just think like looking at the the move itself, it, it's certainly got the Wall Street and shareholders spooked. Um, I, I would imagine that I think, you know, Musk himself has been pushing for Twitter to have an edit button. I think the board might want an edit button of its own if things go bad. So we really need to watch how things go. We need to know whether he's in it for the e long run or whether you know he's just here to you know see where it takes him in in the short term. I think it's also um, interesting to note that um, you know. Elon made a point on the platform saying that he hopes that his biggest critics, this was right before he announced um, or, the, or I guess it was publicised that he his um, bid to, to buy Twitter had been accepted by the board, but he made a statement saying that he hopes that, you know, his biggest critics stay on the platform. But there is kind of a question kind of leading back to what Banksy said about whether there's going to be an element of hypocrisy because on the one hand he's, he's really pushing for this free speech and in his own words um, free speech is he thinks as far as the law will take it. So his 
his perspective is kind of really only looking at the US side of things, but, um, you know, about protecting people's First Amendment rights as far as the law would. On the platform, he, he perceives the law as, um, the platform as um, going beyond the law's scope of protecting, um, of, of, of protecting free speech, I think. Yeah, obviously there are all those cases, historical cases of him suing left, right and centre for people saying slightly, you know, from from whistleblowing all the way through to saying slightly offensive things on Twitter. I think he banned somebody from ever buying a Tesla because they complained about the wait time at an event or something like that. So it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, so also interesting as well is to look at the subscription model that Musk may push for as part of this investment. Um, may it, it certainly will turn the advertising part of this on its head. And, you know, you may find that the programmatic advertising part of Twitter may become very problematic for a lot of agencies now having their content up against, um, you know, stuff that's very questionable. Um, so it could be interesting to see where where advertisers are going to go with this. Yeah, certainly some interesting avenues that the platform could take. You know, we obviously have, uh, I guess, tried and potentially not successful tests like Twitter Blue in recent years. So, yeah, um, another watch this space. Too early to say, and of course, that will still have to be um, signed off by the shareholders before uh, Musk officially becomes uh, the new owner of Twitter. Up next, TV wrap as the ratings year moves into Q2. After last year's TV ratings battle royale, the year started off with Nine's maths a dominant performer. However, in Q1, Seven finished marginally ahead of Nine in national commercial share, taking 40%, with Nine finishing on 38.7, a result which I'm sure both are fully chuffed about. Uh, The pair were out in front with Network 10 following on 21.3%. While we often talk about who won trying to decipher between the confusing charts that are often presented to us by the networks, instead, we should focus on this. Is each network happy right now with how they're performing? M, for each of 7, 9, and 10, what are the expectations for them and how is that aligning with their performance? I mean, if you speak to any of the networks, whether it be seven, nine, or ten, they will tell us that they're over the moon with how you know they went in Q one. Uh, you know, we definitely saw in Q one viewing TV viewing going back to normal. Um, when I say that, it, basically the summer of TV just went through the roof with with how many the audience uh, share that these networks were getting because of you know COVID lockdowns. So Q one kind of went back down to normal. Normal viewing behavior, um, you know, Seven did win Q1 on a national scale commercial share. That doesn't include SBS or ABC. Uh, you know, they had the Winter Olympics. Um, you know, they did have the voice generation that kind of was a little bit of a flop for them only because it was up against maths um, in the same kind of time slot. Um, and when we look at, you know, nine and how well they did it was you know their absolute powerhouse was was maths obviously so um really in entertainment and you know really pushing nine up um at the end of q1 was really how well maths did um and you know if you look at the numbers they were getting you know over a million in metro uh that doesn't even include 
uh, live streaming or BVOD. So that was just absolutely incredible for them. Um, also, the next in entertainment was the Chase Australia on Seven or ABC's Hard Quiz, and you're looking at between three to four hundred thousand less in Metro viewers. So you know, Mass was just powering through that Q1. Um, so really good start for Nine. Uh, obviously, the Seven uh, news is always top uh, when it comes to live linear free-to-air metro viewing. So that also their news uh, really does push them up uh, and rank them up a little bit higher. Um, But in 10, you know, with 10, I think Doghouse was the best for them, uh, but that was also only really performing well when it wasn't up against maths. Um, So... Yeah, that's kind of, oh, yeah, Survivor also for 10 did quite well. You did see some of the numbers, metro linear numbers kind of decrease slightly over the last three years, but I think that's that's okay, uh, nothing to be concerned about for them because a lot of the, you know, the numbers uh, and the audience kind of with their consumer behaviour changing slightly, um, connected TV on the rise you know, they, those kind of audiences were going back to, you know, BVOD and uh, live streaming. So, you know, all in all, they did what they wanted, you know, and they were expecting for the networks. But it will be really interesting to see what happens uh, for the rest of the year. I think a very interesting point was that I recently found out that when I come up to Sydney, I've been staying in the MAFS Hotel, um, which is quite <laughs> exciting. Uh, and so, so maybe, maybe if I'm kind of accidentally featured on there next year, we might see um, their their ratings start to actually eventually <laughs> decline. Um, <laughs> you you mentioned there um, about Ten's performance with Survivor and kind of the, um, how maybe they're favoured a little bit more um, with th- those total figures, including Bvod. You know, me myself. I watch um, Ten Play for, for, for that particular show. Um, mm. The narrative has sort of suggested that TV viewing is falling year on year, um, partly owed to, as we've previously covered on here, how the number numbers are trickled out. Um, mm. Is that really the case in terms of actually getting total eyeballs on the, the key formats? Are we seeing a rise? Mm. Are people still interested in the, the, those traditional formats that the networks are offering up? Absolutely. There's definitely, you know, it's definitely not falling year on year. I think Australians are very much still in love with TV. Um, and I just think that consumer, you know, not not consumer behaviour, but con- uh, TV consumption in Australia has, has changed, uh, you know, in the fact that it's not really about the, the metro linear free-to-air numbers, uh, you know, that's it's the total TV package. So you want to look at the BVOD numbers, the live streaming numbers, and uh, you know the the free to air numbers are, are dropping slightly, um, you know, because of connected TV becoming so popular. But that's nothing really to you know for these networks to be concerned about because you know these key formats um, you know are still very much visible and available uh, on you know a tablet, a phone, a laptop, uh, all linear TV. So yeah, I think there's still definitely an audience there. And we've had last week um, the launch of some of those big flagship shows for Q2, uh, the likes of The Voice, MasterChef, um, Bands and Favourites. You know, early days, uh, how are they faring so far? Yeah, well, now that Nine's uh, maths is wrapped, it's given the other networks to kind of creep on up there in the entertainment space. 
Uh, and Sevens, the voice is really performing quite well. Uh, since it launched last Monday, it's taken that entertainment crown uh, pretty much every night uh, up against Lego Masters and Master Chef. Now, the only thing is uh, during these times where Sevens The Voice Australia is getting the entertainment, taking that entertainment crown, we're seeing that Nines Lego Masters are excelling and taking the key top three key advertising demos uh, during that, that time slot. So, you know, both shows are seeing a lot of success uh, and also – they're kind of. They're, I think they're up twenty three percent in live streaming viewing already for Lego Masters. So that's that's a pretty big growth for them. Uh, and Master Chef, look, it was a bit of a slow start last week. Uh, it was third uh, out of those those three shows, uh, but you know it's creeping up there. I think it's two hundred thousand more on Metro free to air audience figures since last week. So that's huge for them too. Yeah. So I had an interesting conversation with Spark Foundry's Lucy Jansen last week just to kind of get a better idea of how TV consumption is changing uh, as you mentioned M. There's a bigger focus on BVOD and also the live streaming figures as well. The linear TV isn't you know a standalone figure anymore Um, but basically what Lucy said was super interesting. She said that we've kind of already been on this trajectory where people's consumption habits are changing. It has been escalated by COVID and, you know, the the pandemic and mass consumption during the lockdown periods, but it's not something that was triggered by COVID per se. She said that um, people are wanting to consume in a way that's more convenient for themselves. It's less of a commitment. So essentially the shows that we're seeing doing really well are ones that are either bringing something really new. So even though um, The Voice is a returning format, you know, with new judges and a new network, which is why we see that doing, you know, fairly well. And we also see Lego Masters and you mentioned before um, The Doghouse as well did well um, did well for 10. Those are kind of shorter shows that they're not dominating the week. They're not something people have to tune into every night to be able to follow. They're not running for hours on end and, you know, three months at a time. And so some of those kind of older formats are fading away a little bit. They're not doing quite as well as previously because people just simply don't have the time to settle down for them, um, whereas the shorter ones are doing really well. And, and obviously there is the impact of Bebot as well. People are probably going to these longer form shows or these more traditional formats and tuning in and catching up later on their own time. But um, the kind of millennial um, watcher or, or somebody that's you know younger and, and may not have a family probably has a schedule that's not super um, compatible with some of the older formats. Well, that's it for another week on the Mumbrella Cast. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, and make sure to check out Tuesday's Mumbrella Cast special with Russell Howcroft and uh, the website for more content updates. Thanks to today's panel, Banksy. Thank you. Cheers, Callum. I'm off to buy shares in MySpace. Khalil, thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Em. Thank you so much. See you next week.